My name is Pandora Thomas, and I am a teacher, writer, speaker, and a designer. And I currently live in Berkeley, California. And I'm honored to be on the board of Transition US, as well as highly involved in the permaculture community, as well as others. So the Pathways to Resilience program that, that you've been running, can you, um, can you describe it to, to people who are reading this? What is the Pathways to Resilience program? For any of you that might not be in the United States or specifically in California, there's an opportunity that exists that's grown out of what we call the prison industrial complex. Uh, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but there's a, um, a high rate of incarceration in the United States in general, and about 60% of people incarcerated in the United States represent what we call communities of color, African-American, Latino, Asian, Native. Um, and it's disproportionate to the amount of people actually doing crimes or actually being caught. You know, there's pretty much no way that with the numbers that people of color could be doing 60% of crime. So there's a lot of uh, challenges with our justice system that have resulted in this inequity in incarceration mm. rates. And so um, California actually has this initiative where also there's overcrowding in the prisons. They're releasing people early. There's a lot of legislation being passed because people are waking up and saying this is absurd. We're spending money um, to house millions of people instead of supporting their, their transformation and their healing. Um, and so in California, you have what's called reentry. Reentry exists all over, but you have a very robust reentry um, initiative that's attempting to take people from prison, especially nonviolent offenders, put them into jails and then release them. So that's one thing that's happening. So the whole nonviolent offender piece, you know, it's like, you know, what, why are they serving time? And they, we need to really support folks and also look at our, the economics of it because we're spending about $30,000 per person more. Um, well, I'm sorry, we're spending about $47,000 per person to incarcerate them a year in the United States. And you could use that money in so many other ways. And so um, my family... African American and Native American is also kind of uh, dealing with high incarceration rates in my family. And so myself, along with another woman I worked with, we're very passionate about reentry and I specifically looking at um, how the idea of sustainability or, you know, ecological design, like how can we leverage this time where there are going to be all of these people coming back into our communities and we're also facing, you know, what what's happening around climate change and, and environmental justice and social justice and kind of bring all of these together. Because when we work on the inside in San Quentin, the mo woman Angela and myself uh, ran a program called The Green Life. The men inside were just as committed to sustainability as they were to their own personal growth. And they saw the link. And so we thought, wow, how about if we could make the argument that as people are coming out into our communities, into re-entry, we can help lower recidivism, which is the rate of returning back to prison, and we can also educate them and support them in taking leadership around their own life paths and the way that we live on the earth. So that's why we call it a pathway to resilience, because this idea of resilience being a path, that same path that you are taking as you're kind of re-entering the society and, and understanding the systems that are in place 
some systems that actually are responsible for you being incarcerated, but also the natural systems Mm -hmm. and how can we align the the lessons? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the men and women that we work with need everything when they come home. You know, they might have been away for 20 years. So they're just learning about, you know, technologies and, and, and communication and um, moving back into the flow of how the world of work. And so we thought this is a perfect opportunity to also highlight and teach them permaculture design, social entrepreneurism, um, help them create a reentry plan where they see themselves um, having people, the planet, and, the, and, and making a profit be in alignment as opposed to just coming out and figuring out how to piece together a life after uh, oftentimes very traumatic experience being incarcerated. So what are some of the different elements of the program? So it's a four-month training, and it's a pilot right now. And again, it's for men and women coming back into Alameda County, which is the county, uh, one of the, the county where I live. And it, they get their permaculture design certification they also get uh, social entrepreneur training. More importantly, they get case management, kind of wraparound services. So we meet each participant individually and figure out where are they at in this journey of reentering their community. They also get links to a network of leadership in a nonprofit and for-profit companies and organizations that are committed to their success. They also do these healing circles where they come together and really talk about everything from trauma to relationship to, um, you know, what we're dealing with right now in the United States around police brutality and keeping yourself safe. So we're trying to do almost like the eco-village model. Um, I call it the Mandela welcome because when Mandela got out of prison, everybody was excited and hoping he was going to be victorious and gave him all sorts of support and resources. So we're trying to create a Mandela welcome for all these men and women coming back. After the four months of, of receiving all of these training, what we're attempting to do is not necessarily place them in full-time jobs, but give them internships and apprentices at local uh, either green business or social and environmental justice organizations so that they can then take the skills they've learned and apply them to creating a, a, a career that's really rooted in their, their ethics and their values. And you call it a, a holistic pathway towards success. How how um how does that how, how is it kind of received by the people who do it how how is it working and and is it something that people choose to do or that people have to do? Well, that's a very good question. Right now, we've had one cohort, and a cohort is just you know we've been together fifteen participants, and now we're in our second cohort, and everyone has to apply. So you apply, you're vetted, and you're showing a commitment to be able to show up. Again, over four to five months, you're going to permaculture, you're getting your PDC, your permaculture design certification, um, you're meeting with other people. And we start the entire experience by what we call a rites passage. So it's a ceremony in the Redwoods where we bring out um, su- supporters who really want to, uh, you know, their family, other formerly incarcerated folks who want to see them succeed. And this rites of passage uh, ceremony, they go through and they write something down that they've done, that they want to let go of, and then they burn it through ceremony, and then there's drumming, and there's like a re-entry. So they loved that because it was like a way for them to start anew. And a lot of them are especially excited about the permaculture design certification because it's a tangible skill that they're starting to use right away. 
several of them, if not all of them, have experienced, you know, with some type of a land, um, a land-based practice, whether it's just working in their grandmother's backyard or being a landscaper or having to do landscaping while they were incarcerated. So what we're trying to do is give it more relevance and help them understand where we're at with what's happening um, planetarily with sustainability and also make it relevant for what's happening in, in our own communities. And so they love learning about patterns in nature, but also the patterns in their own life that they can transform and making those alignments. And, you know, seeing we're having a drought in California right now and understanding, you know, that their bodies are made up in water or what are this relationship between their own health and the health of the planet. So it's been overwhelmingly successful in terms of the, the permaculture design education piece and helping them re-envision what they could be doing with their lives. And what do you, what changes do you see in the people who go through the program? That's a very good question. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people, uh, the participants speak about, um, like we had one woman who joined the program and she was like, you know, I just, you know, I want to, I'm into fashion and I'm just trying to go to school and work. And, you know, it's not that she didn't care about quote the environment, but again, it wasn't relevant for her. And so after the first day of the permaculture course, and, you know, we had our other events too before that, she was like, I had no idea that what's happening around the environment impacts me and my community and my life and how urgent it is and that I can actually take leadership around it. So they're starting to change like that lens shift that I think everybody gets when you start to learn about permaculture design or, or transition or any way of starting to see our relationship to what's happening um, with the rest of the systems on the earth. We also have other people that, um, other participants who understand, wow, whatever job I get, I can bring this ethic, you know, of, of people care, earth care, resource share to, to that work. Um, a lot of participants also say, now I feel like I'm serving my community. I don't just feel like someone's looking at me like, oh, he just got out and I'm, I'm afraid of him. Now people are looking at these men and women and saying, wow, I can look to them as leaders and as a resource for improving our communities. So that's been really powerful to see that and hear, hear from them. They also give us feedback on how to improve the program. So that's been really good, too. How do we make it more relevant and more empowering and inspiring for future participants? And social uh, entrepreneur training is one of the key parts of it. Why did you feel that you had to include that? Well, I consider myself a social entrepreneur. It's kind of a buzzword that's going around right now. And um, it's funny, someone yesterday just asked me, what's a social entrepreneur? Um, but I think this opportunity, you know, we call it triple bottom line, um, people, planet, profit, but just understanding that you can have a mission-driven life and your work can be mission-driven. And we wanted to offer that lens to these men and women coming back into our communities so that, again, they don't just see, I'm just going to go work for whatever thing I can work for, but what are, what's their mission in life and how can they create that? You know, how can they not just see themselves as, okay, whatever one thing I'm going to be doing, but what are they passionate about? And is there an issue in their community that they can become innovative and creative about? And, and design a solution that's needed 
And so we work with a um, sustainable economies law center, which is a local cooperative of lawyers here in the Bay Area. And they do a lot of training around starting cooperatives. And they also get to meet social entrepreneurs, specifically social entrepreneurs from diverse backgrounds, like um, back to the roots. They have used coffee grounds to <clears throat> grow mushrooms. They grow mini aquaponic systems now. And these are located all over in stores all over the United States. This was two college students who saw a need and that there is no waste actually and wanted to grow something out of it. So for our participants to learn about their story and see how they uh, designed a business and that it's possible to design something that you can be an entrepreneur that's making a true impact in your community. But also, you know, last year, I think Back to the Roots made $11 million gross. And they're hiring people locally and they're committed committed to social and environmental justice. So for us, including the social entrepreneur lens makes it more holistic so that then the next step they take is what role do I play in creating a, a mission-driven business or bringing that ethic to whatever work I might do. Um, how would you generate, how, how would you rate the level of of uh, awareness around issues around race uh, and culture within permaculture transition movements is it is it improving is it worsening what's your sense well, that, that was a shift to um, you know, um well i should say i also do a lot of uh i have done a lot of work around bridge building and creating relevancy and engaging diverse communities um, around sustainability. So this is an area that I'm very passionate about and I've been working for the last 20 plus years around. First of all, I think that transition and permaculture are moved. There, there are so many facets to them. There's no, in my mind, just one permaculture movement. It's like permaculture is a discipline that shows up in many different ways. <laughs> and I think there's patterns that you see in California, <laughs> how it shows up in the Midwest, in the South, you know, it's, it's just like the, the, the principles, it's based on the place where it's rooted. You know, if you look at the perma, if you, if you went to a permaculture design certification in Northern California, and you went to one in, um, Malawi, <laughs> the participants will look very different. It's just like if you went to a permaculture design certification where people have made an effort to actually bring people together and create access, like what we're trying to do in Oakland, it's going to look different than the permaculture design certification just over the bridge in San Francisco. Because what I've seen is that permaculture transition is a microcosm of the macrocosm. And we are still, I mean, talk about what's happening right now. We are still experiencing the legacy of, of, of racial um, injustice and a system that was designed to create racial disparity and foster racial disparity. So these movements reflect that unless you're actually using the principles to transform that. And so a lot of people talk about Diversity is a principle in nature and more resilient systems are diverse. Okay, but you actually, we've destroyed a lot of diverse systems, started 
monocropping and designing water flow systems that are not um, appreciative of how water actually needs to flow. And so it's the same with people systems. We put people in silos and, and, and now have communities where certain races and cultures live and people are identified as poor or rich. And so again, if we're not designing opportunities to bring people together, heal and transform relationships, then oftentimes it doesn't happen. And I feel like that occurs a lot. I went to the North American Permaculture Convergence in Minnesota. It was beautiful. The organizers put a lot of effort into bringing out, quote, diversity. And that means a lot of things. But again, it's in the middle of Minnesota. It costs a lot of money to get there. And a lot of people just, I know a lot of people of color I spoke to were like, that's just not high priority for me to go because they knew what it was going to look like. And it was predominantly um, white permaculture designers. But at the same time, a lot of the conversation was around inclusion and growing this movement. So there was an effort made. But again, it has to be part of the design. How are we dealing with racial inequity, you know, in our society, the fact that race doesn't actually exist, but these systems exist that reinforce disparities. And if that's not included at the forefront, you can't take a permaculture design certification and then don't talk about people piece or social dynamics and then expect people to leave and apply the principles anywhere else, but to land-based projects. Um, and I think you guys and Tottenham learned that when transition has more to do with the transition of relationships of people and how you're using and understanding resources. So I'm not sure if I answered the question because it's, it's really hard. It, it's still very fragmented, but people want to know what to do. You know, we started the Black Permaculture Network and in the last two months, we've given out 12 scholarships working in partnerships with local organizations and trainings to get more people of color trained and at workshops, you know, and I'm just writing letters to people saying, hi, would you sponsor three diversity scholarships? You know, people pay what a range so that we can, and folks are like, yes, this is a great idea. So it, it there is a lot of work to do, but also there's, it's just kind of like relationship building and acknowledging the past and then moving forward. Uh, and designing better ways of interaction across different cultures and different groups. And I, I mentioned at the beginning that our, our theme this month is around less is more. I wonder how, how do you find, uh, you know, it's, it, it seems certainly as one would get from the media anyway, that, that, that in, uh, that's within, within certain aspects of uh black american culture the aspiration uh through music and culture is very much around there's a, often a very material kind of culture motivation uh and particularly one would imagine uh guys coming out of prison would be wanting to take that kind of path how do you how do you bring those permaculture principles around fair shares, around living with less, around simplicity and kind of looking at abundance in different ways and take it into 
uh, was a very long-winded question, and and introduce those ideas and make them resonate with guys who often would be in prison because they had a culture that was very much about, you know, acquisition and and wealth and 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 those kinds of things. Right. Yeah. Well, and first I want to say, you know, that by no means just is a part of the Black American experience. I mean, it's part of the American, the, the global desire to accumulate more and more stuff, right? So again, Black America is a microcosm of the patterns that exist in the larger society, partially, you know? There's also, and I talk a lot to students in the South and historically Black colleges and universities about our legacies of conservation. And, our, and when I say our, I mean, you know, the African-Americans. So there is a huge history of conserving and making do. That's what we call making do and, and saving and, and, you know, sharing. There's a sharing, huge legacy of the sharing economy in our communities, you know, and they still exist. And they still exist in, in the desires of all ages. It's not just like the old people, like people who care about our communities and start to mm-hmm. understand what it's going to take to really distribute resources. Once they understand what to do, they're like, yeah. How do we figure out how to do that? So I just wanted to point that out, um, that we are dealing with a symptom that everyone's dealing with. Um, and then, you know, when you talk about, and again, I've never been incarcerated. This is just what I've seen and heard. You are confined to small quarters. You do not have a lot of stuff. Like, they don't have a lot of stuff there. If anything, they're probably living with the least by force. No, and, they, and you get very creative. And you start to understand, you also become very observant. And, and it, from what I've seen, the, you're really understanding um, how to stretch the resources you have. You know, the food they buy and the food they get sometimes is not very healthy for them. So they get, you know, have to get creative about how to get um, enough fruit or, you know, just enough of healthy things in their bodies and how to have with other people that that are healthy so when I went inside and was working in San Quentin a lot of the men that I was working with were in all these classes and workshops and trying to improve their life also in order to have volunteers come in you have to be at a certain level and you have to have proven you know that you're okay to you know you're not like in solitary confinement so I was working with people who had, you know, who were kind of on their P's and Q's. But again, they were all, they knew what they did was wrong. They were all trying to improve their life. So the less is more argument, they got it. They were like, yes, I want a thriving life. But, you know, when I, if, when I get out, mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily want the lifestyle I might have had before. Like you pointed out, some of them might have, you know, done things and had a lot more resources and things that when they got out and had this new environmental lens, they were like, yeah, I want good things that are quality and that support, you know, the health of the planet, the health of our community. So the same way that you would think about this or I would think about this, being incarcerated doesn't make you not think about these things. It's just, you know, you have to go through making it relevant. And so the men and women that are now out in our program, once they're understanding what's going on, that's why they're like, wow, so you can use corn to make cups <laughs> or you can not you make plastic cups or you can trace the fiber um 
journey of your clothing so that it's, it's, you know, fibers that are made in these more sustainable ways. You know, they still want nice things and nice clothes, but they want them like we all do in this movement rooted in a more sustainable process. And so it hasn't been difficult at all when we talk about it in relevant ways and also when we build on their experiences of being incarcerated and on their experiences of their cultures. Most of these people are um, everything from Filipino to Native to African-American. And when we talk about, you remember that grandmother you had or your legacy, they're like, yes, this is our, this is what we come from. How do we reclaim that? That was a long answer to your long question. It was a long question, yeah. <laughs> and um, the last question I wonder is, you know, there's always the question that we get about, you know, is transition political? How, how, how political is transition? Is it political enough? Does it, is it more successful because it's not explicitly political? Uh, all of those kind of discussions. And I think we talked about those when, at the event we did in Oakland as well. Um, in the current... Um, uh, the current sort of situation with the Michael Brown uh, shooting and uh, Eric Garner and the different things that are going on. Permaculture transition uh, in the context of all the kind of protests and the demonstrations that are happening all across the US. Do you see that as something parallel? Does it have a role in that? How for you do those, do those things come together? For me, the most sustainable thing a person could do is continue to live, <laughs> stay alive and thrive and create and support systems that help affirm their own life. So the practices that resulted in Michael and Eric's death were not life affirming. And so that is about permaculture design. That is about the transition because we are the environment. You know, black men and that's not just black men, anyone, like people are also the environment. We are our own ecological system integrated into the larger systems. And so it's a no brainer for me that we have to discuss this also again, because it's been designed as such. We live in a society that policing and the idea of valuing property or other things over a certain life, it's been designed that way. And so it's actually, you know, there's many people who aren't surprised. They're saddened, highly saddened and disgusted. I'm one of them. But when you look at historically how the system of policing has been designed and who it has um, benefited and how black people are seen, dark skinned, black men are seen globally and feared. So, you know, and so all of these things. So for me, it's how are we designing designers and transitioning? If anything, it's so relevant for transition because this idea of we need to transition to communities where people can walk down the street, stand on the street, and there's not even a question. The police will actually look to them look to an Eric Garner and say, I know you are a part of this community. What have you observed? You know, what, what flows of, you know, protocols is all about flow of energy and flow. What if those police officers said to Eric Garner, Oh, hi. So you've been standing out here watching instead of seeing him immediately fearing that he did something 
but what are you observing? Like you're helping us do our job because, you know, who are you? So if we can design our communities in ways that take into account the injustice that happens, that lives are being taken early, that has to be part of transition. That has to be part of permaculture design. And there's enough people to be thinking of all these different parts. You know, I speak a lot to permaculture designers and they're like, I don't know, you know, they're like, well, we don't know what to do about racism or police brutality. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean you need to be ignorant about it and the data doesn't exist. And so once you start understanding that it is a part and it's been designed in the society that you live in and that you benefit and you have privileges, just like I do as a black woman, I have some privileges. Moving forward, the conversation, you won't be surprised when I'm frustrated because you can't even have the conversation and you would just rather talk about the diversity of your crops. I've had people say to me, you know, let's talk about the diversity of plants and I don't see color or race. And I'm like, but you have to, you see diversity in plants. What's the problem with saying you also see the diversity in race or diversity, not race, but diversity in people and the, 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 the beneficial opportunities that exist when we bring them together. So I just want to say, you know, I just said race doesn't exist, but that doesn't mean cultural diversity does exist.